all the Academy Award discourse we can cram into just under an hour. So, just the animated shorts category. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and awards season. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. I do feel like there should be like, like Hollywood 1940s, 1930s music going, you know. Really? We're here live at the Academy Awards. I think just every event would benefit from having a live big band. Just yeah. bring it back. Bring it back. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking about the Academy Award nominees for animated short films. The nominees are Hair Love. Did we introduce ourselves? I don't know if I did. We did. We did. Hair Love. <laughs> Daughter. Sister. Memorable. And Kitbull. At first, I I couldn't tell if you were doing a bit, but then the bit continued, so just let it go. I thought it was going to be a bit, and then it just continued, so I let it go as well. Okay. (laughs) Talk about an animated short. Talk about an animated short. Um, That's just what you said. I just said it in the voice, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, so this year, those are the nominees. Those are the five nominees We have Hair Love, Daughter, Sister, Memorable, and Kit Bull. Lots of animated shorts entered. These strong five choices have, I guess not, it's still not done. Uh, At the time of recording, this is still pre-winner being announced. So we don't know the winner, dear audience. You do. Uh, We'll probably insert a recap audio clip at the end, so... Spoilers. If you were if you were not paying attention to this category, you will know by the end who uh, won, who we thought, well, yeah, won. But I was thinking number one. Number one, you will know who, who won, we thought will won, and two, who will have won. Who we thought we will won. <laughs> Man, I am doing so well today. <laughs> Uh, that's fine, uh, because these animated shorts are also stellar. It makes up for any uh, word usage that we might have. Like that. <laughs> every year we talk about this, and every year it's it's great to go into these short films. One, because we don't have time to talk about the nominees for feature animated films. And... We talked about at least three of them the past year. So you can go listen to those episodes from, let's see, we talked about Klaus. We talked about, what was the, the second one? Toy Missing Story 4. Link oh. and Toy Story 4. <laughs> yes, those are the three that we discussed. You could go back and listen to those. Um, what I like about the animated shorts is sometimes these tell stories that you don't normally get to experience in the live not the live action in the well yeah you don't get to experience these kinds of stories in live action features and you don't you also don't get to experience them in full-length animated features so it's it's nice and it's different i mean it's it's the difference between a short story and a novel like as you 
as things get longer, there's an expectation that there's a lot more like why behind the things, mm-hmm. um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's like the audience is a, like a three-year-old going, why, why, why? Like every time you try to explain something to them and there's always a why for the next thing you explain. Mm. It's a genuine curiosity, but there's a never ending genuine curiosity to the world building that you get in larger stuff. So in the short films, it's more free to uh, do some crazy stuff. And it also allows, and I know we've said this before, but it gets an opportunity to focus in on one solid question. And if it starts asking more than that, then it gets muddled and it feels shortchanged. So if it can answer or not even answer, but ask one big question through the whole animated short, you'll have a successful one. So focus in on that one question. Yeah. This year's nominees all have this one question they focus on, but outside of the the question, the plot, they also have, themes and many years we tend to see some themes emerge in the nominees that we get mm-hmm. uh chris tell us about some of the themes that you've seen this year oh one of the biggest ones is family and the relationships between family members so i would say one two three four five of them all five <laughs> of them have to do with family and relationships in in some way some uh more I would say I'd say the first four are literal and the fifth one is a found family. Thank you. That's that's the word I was looking for. Thank you for filling in exactly. Boop, 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 boop. Um, that's the sound of our brains merging. Uh, then the other one of the other themes is what somebody is experiencing um, emotionally. So giving light to somebody's emotional or mental state. Uh, and this is something that animation gets gets a chance to do that live action films don't often get a chance to do, which is show a really evocative and artistic representation of somebody's inner world, whether that's what they're feeling or what they're thinking or what it looks the world looks like through their eyes and just making it evocative. Mm hmm. And I think that's a good fit for the short films, too, because your plot out of necessity is going to be fairly light. And so showing that inner world and what that means is more important to creating an effective short film. Yes. Um, Another theme. Well, it's not necessarily a theme, but it's a trend is stop motion. It's back, baby. It's back. Three out of the five nominees are stop motion animation. That's true. And all three of them look different from each other. They they don't look the same at all, even though they're three the same method. Because stop motion animation, just like animation itself, is not a genre. It's a method. Yeah. Uh, but even on top of those three looking different and using different materials uh something that you noted is that all five of them play with texture yeah so it's not just 
films that are about animation and what things look like. It's about how they feel physically as well. Then each texture kind of makes you feel different things throughout uh, watching these films. Yeah, it's they feel very tactile, and I think that gives them a more. Um, it, they feel grounded because of it. Right away, they feel lived in. I think that's the best way. The best way I can describe it. Yeah, lived in. Lived in. Yeah. Yeah, this one I feel it's more like a we as an audience member are living through, and I think that the the texture helps. We'll get to it. We'll get in there. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, you you made a note about a very big trend here. Yes, I don't know what it is, and uh, whatever you think of the Academy Awards, uh, this category is very diverse in representation this year. Not just in terms of the characters in the films, but the people making these films as well represent diverse range of people mm-hmm. uh, and it's great that this year we have things like parasite and little women getting celebrated the main categories but i don't think anyone would say there's not opportunity to celebrate more diversity in the academy awards right with uh notable films not represented at all this year so that's interesting uh but this category not sure why it is so, but it's much more diverse than you might see in many other categories. Well, should we start talking about the nominees cool. and um, get into their stories and what makes them tick? Yeah. Let's oh. start with a uh, Hair Love. All right. Hair Love, co-directed by Everett Downing Jr. and Bruce W. Smith, written by Matthew A. Cherry. I believe we saw this earlier in the year with Angry Birds 2. And when recording our Angry Birds trip, so it said, we won't talk about this now. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> because I felt like I knew it was going to be nominated for an Academy Award. I hope everyone felt like that when they saw it. <laughs> it was nice that Sony uh, brought that out and was like, here you go, world. And not just in front of Angry Birds 2, but then later on, on YouTube to just say, here you go. Yeah. And last I checked, it's still on YouTube for everyone to experience. I mean, there might be a couple factors behind that. I think I've seen this at least four times now uh, in yeah, a good I'm at way. Three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I saw it with Angry Birds 2. I saw it in preparation for this. Um, I think I saw it in preparation for this twice because I watched it once on YouTube and once in the shorts TV category in theaters. And then I watched it for fun at some point, too. So there's that. <laughs> um, this one, uh, along with many of these films, was kickstarted as well. Uh, so lots of people to thank in the credits. And I'm not sure if it's just the nature of it being kickstarted. They wanted to also make it available on YouTube. Or if that's Sony just making these controversial, great creative decisions with animation they've been making lately. Magically, somehow. Uh, and striking a chord and going, we should just make this accessible. Mm-hmm. Because this year, I think compared to some of the years we've recorded this episode, these shorts were kind of hard to find <laughs> as a whole. Not Hair Love or Kitbull. Yeah, Hair Love and Kitbull were a little bit more accessible. And I don't know if that has to do with larger studios and 
they can make their decisions or what that means. But yeah, it was nice to have hair love available. So do you want to give us the quick Mackenzie summary of hair love? All right. I'm going to bring it in. Uh, so hair love begins with a uh, little girl, specifically a black girl with her wonderful, wonderful hair. And this short is about today being the day. We don't know what the day means right away, but it's the day. And she's excited and wants to look her best for the day. And uh, this little girl, through the help of YouTube videos, has been learning about things she can do with her hair and how to make it look great and do what she wants it to do for any given moment. And so she finds the perfect hairstyle uh, that's unique and something I mean as an audience also like you don't necessarily walk around and see every day in the world this hairstyle that she picks out so even as an audience member you go that's a difficult one <laughs> uh, and this poor girl and her cat uh, try to <laughs> make this hairstyle happen and it smash cuts to not that and her dad walks in and just does like the most loving dad look of like, oh no, and tries to help her for this day. And we see this girl wanting to be perfect and this dad trying to be the dad that she needs in the moment, but also like needing to get things done. Mm -hmm. And their struggle with trying to find the perfect hair and make it work. Uh, ultimately, what we find out is they're visiting mom who's in the hospital or getting out of the hospital. A little bit unclear, but it's the day they get to see her. And it's revealed that she has been in chemotherapy and she no longer has her hair. And on top of that, she is the one who does the YouTube video series with the help of her daughter about the hair in the first place. So daughter's been using her mom's videos to find the perfect hair, to show off for her mom, who no longer has hers, at least in this moment. Right. And that reveal at the end that it is the mom who makes the videos and that it's the day that they go see the mom. It's just, um, it, it's a really power, it lands just right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the reactions of the characters. You understand that it's a very important day. You understand that this is the most important thing to this young girl at this moment. And you understand that the dad is under some emotional stress himself. You don't know exactly why he's has some stress, but you know, he, he's in a hurry. He's frazzled. He doesn't want to deal with his, the daughter's hair. Um, but it's not in the typical bad dad version of the story, which is I'm just a, dumb inattentive dad it's i'm a dad whose brain is somewhere else and i don't have time for this and this is just one extra thing that i can't handle right now mm -hmm. just put on the hat let's go because i don't have time for this and what i really appreciate is we see the struggle from both of their perspectives too mm -hmm. uh so obviously we're following the daughter throughout this and seeing her perspective on what's happening but we also see the dad enter in gym shorts and like a workout tank top. Uh, and then we see from 
his mind's eye, like what trying to make this hair do the thing that she wants it to do is like for him because it cuts to a boxing ring where he's literally boxing the hair and fighting with it. Um, and so we see that he is trying. <laughs> yes. And it gives more weight to the let's give up and use a hat. It's not just like, I don't have time for this. We're taking the hat. It's I am trying. I don't know what to do. I'm losing. We just need to try something else. Right. I'm overwhelmed. And it's a really great, quick representation of here's his mental state. He's completely overwhelmed and beaten. It's not just an easy decision for him. Yeah. So I really appreciate it for that. And I also appreciate just the, I'll call it the small bigness of, of the story because it's one small moment that it's focusing on and a seemingly small thing, which is getting your hair just right. But it's so big because of what it means between the three of them, that he was able to accomplish it, that the daughter is able to get the hair that she wants and that they are both supporting the mother uh, who needs both of them to be on their game? Uh, and and just that that representation of the whole family coming back together. And I think what really seals the deal at the end is the daughter comes with the drawing that she made of her mother without hair mm-hmm. and a crown over her head. Uh, and it that solidifies that moment that for the daughter, like getting the hair right wasn't about looking good with the hair. It was about what her mother taught her. And, and who the mother is yeah, to her. The hair on the mother doesn't matter. What they do with the hair together doesn't matter. It's just about their love for each other. Right. It's just so well done. Yeah. The hair's the medium. <laughs> well, shall we talk about a different father-daughter relationship? <laughs> In so many ways, different. It's so, so different. So... Daughter, uh, created by um, Daria Kashiva from Czech Republic. Uh, it's her film school thesis project, I believe, which it feels like in a good way. I'll say that. <laughs> um, because it's uh, experimental. It feels like, you know, when you do your thesis and you're tackling a big question and you do it in a really interesting and arty way or you're supposed to um but this is really really well done so the basic premise is you have a a middle-aged daughter in a hospital room with her father who is very close to death we believe very close to death Um, he's just completely still in a hospital bed and there's the beep of the machine and as the audience, you see somebody like that and you're like, okay, he's, he's not long for this world. <laughs> you, you, you get it. He's dying and this is going to be about their relationship. That's just what happens in the animated shorts category. Right. You're like, oh, here's my cue. Hospital bed. He's dying. I see. She's the <laughs> daughter because that's the name of this. You understand their relationship. It's very quick. Um and it's really told in in a 
I, I want to say bizarre, but I don't want that to have a negative connotation, a bizarre way or an unexpected way, because it's stop motion. The characters look like they're made out of paper mache, so their heads aren't perfectly round. They, they're very... Um, they feel haphazard, but they also feel intentionally that way. Yeah, they're like intentionally lumpy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> intentionally lumpy characters. Um, the paint of their of their faces is feels haphazard too. It's intentionally off kilter, so the color isn't quite right. Um, the the whites of their eyes feels like you could still see brush strokes in them and paint clumps in them. So they're not perfect round circles. It's very much lived in, but they're really expressive eyes too. And then uh, it just feels lived in. Like it feels like a touched world um, between the daughter and her father. And we're just taken through some very pivotal moments small moments again a small bigness of these moments between this father and this daughter um as she's reliving them because she's dealing with the eventual death of her father but the the most striking thing is the camera work i feel yeah i think that's the the innovative part of this i i don't mean this as a this isn't like a bad thing, but the the stop motion and the puppets themselves aren't particularly groundbreaking. They're intentional, but they're not groundbreaking. Whereas the camera work, which I don't even, I'm trying to envision how they made it happen. <laughs> right. Uh, it looks a lot like when when the characters are in motion. It's like the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> There's like shaky camera work. It looks like there's motion when the daughter's running up the stairs between the sound effects and the camera work. Like it looks very fluid and um, movement-y, to use a technical word, uh, which <laughs> juxtaposes with the moments when we have both characters together and they're just kind of sitting there, right. not saying anything, and their eye movement is doing anything but look at each other. And so it pumps up the, the awkwardness and the emotional tension in those moments where there is stillness because there's dynamic movement. That's what I was looking for, dynamic. Uh, mm. Dynamic movement in the action shots that who knows how they were made. I think the other striking thing is something you alluded to when you were talking about the awkwardness of the feel, feeling between the two of the characters is the eye movement between them and the eyes are really simple. They're just black dots in the white of the eye, but the movement feels like the most real eye movement I've ever seen in animation, which is just, they're looking up, they're looking to the side, they're intentionally looking away and it just feels because their bodies are so steel, still. They, it just feels so interesting and real uh, authentic in the eyes and the eyes are everything in this particular short yeah it has 
the freedom to let the eyes kind of do whatever, which is very theater. You don't know what an actress can do any given night. Uh, and it, it conveys so much emotion in just how much they're not doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting short. Hmm. I think you really liked it. I I did I did I wasn't sure what I was getting from it at all at all times. You know, when we started getting the bird imagery and some other things, I was like, oh, we're getting quite theatrical in this. You know, I felt very like Julie Taymor came to mind. Like, <laughs> oh, interesting. She's in a nest and she is the bird, but she's also wearing a bird mask and she's she is the dead bird and. That's right. Um, We're cultured on this podcast. We name drop Julie Taymor casually. <laughs> Deal with it, animation listeners. So I was just thinking, you know, as I was, I was, I was watching. I mean, one of the most striking moments is between the the two characters, the the father and the daughter, where um, she is her younger self bringing the the bird, the dead bird to her father and is needing some emotional support. And he can't give it in the moment because he's currently dealing with making dinner and a pot's about to boil over. So you have this single father trying to do everything um, and not giving his daughter the emotional and physical tactile response that she needs in that moment, but it's not because he's a bad, disinterested dad. It's because he's a great dad trying to do the right things, but is still missing a moment. And for her, it's a pivotal moment. And for him, it was probably just a forgettable moment of, I was just making you dinner. And the important thing was, here's your dinner. Like, and not necessarily this idea of this dead bird. I mean, it might have also been about the dead bird and keep it away from the food. I mean, that too. <laughs> Sanitary dad. Let's be real. Uh, if if my child brought a dead animal into my home, into my kitchen, uh, I I would probably let's not just not communicate the expectations of like we will take this moment to have a loving moment. But first I need to take the pasta off the stove. I need to put that dead bird outside. I mean, that's, that's all it really is about is communicating, like communicating the, uh, what the expectation was and the emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. Not, I, I say that as if um, I have all the answers, but I don't, but it is striking that there are, there's no dialogue in it and it would have been fixed if there were, any words between these two characters. Not that the short would have been fixed, that the tension between the two characters would have been fixed? Correct. Okay. The short short was fine. <laughs> the relationship between the two characters could have been repaired if the two characters, the father and the daughter, had communicated with each other. That's fair. So, should we talk about a different family entirely? Sure. One where it's a lot of communication. Uh, so Sister is a joint uh, China-U.S. submission from uh, director and writer Siki Song. Would Siqi Song? 
That's my guess at pronunciation, but I could be wrong. Uh, look it up for yourself, please. This one is, the premise is, uh, it's um, a man reflecting on his childhood growing up with his sister. Uh, from memories that are very weird and exaggerated, like a giant baby sister that fills a room eating his toys, <laughs> to the very real and tangible of him and his sister sitting on a couch watching cartoons with a remote between them, and they're each just hitting the button to change the channel back to what they were watching. Which I'm pretty sure I've done with my sister. <laughs> And if you actually wanted to watch your cartoons, what you would do in that moment as a character who's trying new things would to be to remove the remote to a different location. But what they actually want is just to annoy each other because they don't move the remote. And it would be so easy to solve that situation, but they don't want to solve it. And that I really relate to. Love my sister, <laughs> but that's something we definitely did growing up. I get it. <laughs> so you get that tangible... Um, in addition to the absurd moments of like what having that sister's like, uh, the twist, if you will, is that, uh, the adult man reveals that he actually never had a sister, uh, and that he grew up in China during the one child policy. And so it's revealed that his parents, mm -hmm. um, were pregnant and, uh, had an abortion instead because of the one child policy. And that's something that I think that, like, the idea of the one-child policy, I think I've seen a few times lately in some other things. Not animated, but um, elsewhere as well. So it, I'm, it's an interesting time, and I'm glad this is coming up. And it's just a piece of history that I think people outside of China have kind of forgotten about. So it's great mm -hmm. that it's coming back up. What I appreciated about this one is that it took its its style, which is very, it's all, it's mostly black and white and gray. So it's mostly grayscale. Not that it was filmed that way, but that it was um, created that way. So the, the puppets are fabric. They feel fuzzy and almost like, the the sister especially feels like she's made out of fluff like huh i just having this thought of stuffing of a <laughs> stuffed animal as opposed to um something with skin you mm -hmm. know she feels very fluffy um not quite formed so from innards which is interesting um but she um so it's black and white and grayscale and some small hints of red here and there just for striking accents just to make make things um, make sense. But it does allow for this soft and stuffed animal imaginary world to grow, especially when the sister takes up the entire room. And then it plays with just the fanciful version of that, where the brother tries to get his sister to deflate. So he pulls at her belly button. And <laughs> essentially, I was like, oh, he's pulling out an umbilical cord. Like, that's interesting. So he's pulling that, and then she's able to deflate back to the normal baby size. Um, and then you realize the end with a twist that 
she was never born, so of course she would have had an umbilical cord. But there's that question of, was the reveal earned in the same way that other reveals um, have been done? You know, like, was it, did, did it lead the audience on in a good way? Mm. Because it, there's that, uh, there's the idea of the perception shift, which is the best way to describe it is like the end of the sixth sense. I won't ruin the end of the sixth <laughs> sense, but you've been given this one truth all the way through, and then it's been revealed that no, there's a there's a different truth. This other thing is real, and the you go back over and you realize how you've been lied to and misdirected the whole time. Hmm. Um, not that, and but it still holds up. If you know what the truth is at the end, it seems obvious and inevitable. It's like, well, of course, I see how they lied to me. <laughs> I see how they misdirected me. Um, and it still works. But then in this one, it doesn't feel like it doesn't have that same misdirection. It's just here it is. Here's the story about me and my sister. And then, oh, by the way, I didn't have one. So there's not that going back over the story and seeing, oh, I see where the lie was. It was just, yeah, here's a story as if it were true. And then it wasn't true. I... But, I don't know that every. I was fine without it having that specific like second truthiness to it. It's the second truthiness, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know that every story needs every story with like it wasn't real twist needs to be exactly like that. But I do also agree that it wasn't as strong as it could have been. Maybe. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like the reveal that she wasn't real added much beyond like everything we've seen so far as just like an imagination. It didn't right. add like even like a, a greater emotional truthiness <laughs> to what was being done in the past. Right. And maybe that's it. The, the emotion at the end didn't feel like it made a change in any of those specific events. Yeah. It was just, there wasn't a sister there. That's yeah. that's it. There's yeah. nothing. He just got to watch his cartoons. Um, <laughs> he just got to play with his toys. Like there wasn't anything of uh, anything of consequence after that. Yeah. That being said, this is I think the only animated thing I can think of off the top of my head that's tackled this one child theme. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is still a strong entry. Uh, visually very interesting. Uh, but I I do think that I've seen some of the things that it does better in other mediums. But I do appreciate its storytelling and its humor. Yeah. Like like the humor and the... It, it tackles something serious in a way that I haven't seen. It never I mean, gets gross weird, but it's just like delightfully weird. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Delightfully weird. Just a smack of weird. 
<laughs> it's like the ha 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 kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would agree with that. Thank you. Should we talk about memorable? Memorable. Different movie. Completely uh, different. Written and directed by Bruno Collet or Colette. I believe it's Colette. Collet. I don't not sure. My French is terrible. But um in a similar fashion to Late Afternoon from last year's nominees, if you listen to our episode from last year, uh, about a character losing their memory. And that's about the only thing that's similar <laughs> about them. Yeah, uh, similar concept, but completely diverged mediums, completely diverged ways of telling the story emotionally yeah. and plot-wise. We have... Um, an older gentleman who is a painter, he's an artist, and it's about the relationship he has with his wife. And you start to see um, what I love about it is the texture in this stop motion. He feels painted in a certain kind of uh, painting style where you see the brush strokes on him and his wife and they're just going through things and you start to understand that he's not sure what year it is. Yeah. And uh, he gets questioned by this strange looking person who doesn't, their face is sideways and it's, you know, almost Picasso-esque and not quite right. And uh, the gentleman's questioning him about the object on the table. And all you see is an object in melting paint. And it's just so beautifully done. And uh, he's like, you can't identify that that as a mobile phone. Like, you don't understand what that object is. But I also appreciate it doesn't take itself too seriously at the same time either. Like, it recognizes the absurdity of how our brains work in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the question was in that same scene, but something like, do you know how to use a mobile phone? And the main character's reply is like, of course I don't know how to use a mobile phone. It's 1965. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, like, why would I know that? It's 1965. So he could piece together the logic behind his thinking, but he also knows, like, deep down how absurd it is. And I love how the drips start drifting up, and it's as it dissolves and that it's gone. You realize that that object is no longer part of his consciousness. And then it leads you through and he has another event. Time passes. And the next time you see him, uh, he looks like he's in a Van Gogh painting. Yeah. Uh, with scrapes and brush strokes and like deep grooves. And you, you notice that, okay, it's taken a turn. He's not quite there. Now he's getting more stylized. Um, he can't quite put things together. Uh, there's a dinner party with he, him and his kids, and uh, they're laughing. They're having a good time. And then you see the table from his point of view, and you just see this group of people with their faces just in paint and misshapen and not quite formed. And you just see what he's dealing with right there. Mm -hmm. And he somehow is able to stay funny because of who he is and make jokes. And then you hear dialogue of the kids like, I don't know what mom's talking about. He's 
he's himself. Like he's so funny. Like, he's fine. And then we as the audience, like, uh, no, kids. He you you you're missing it. You're just seeing the surface. Yeah. I mean, you and I have both in job capacities worked with older people who over the series of years you can kind of start to tell and you mm. thing things are going on. Yeah. Um, and I think that what I really liked about this also is that it, humor is a way that people often deflect from that. Mm-hmm. And this short did a good job of doing that. Uh, I don't know. There's lots to like here. I did. I did really like this short and I think I need to see it more times to unpack everything it does and learn more about art history to understand everything it does. <laughs> <clears throat> One moment that I think really hit me hard is at the end, because it's kind of like abstracting more and more through art forms. And it has like Van Gogh and Picasso and like Monet bits. And it just gets more and more abstract till like it's very approaching cubist on the main character. Mm -hmm. But then his wife at one point, like it shows that all that he's registering of this other person in the room is like some sketchy marks to show the outline of her and some like facial features. And he paints her, and what he paints is exactly what he sees, which I mm. thought was so interesting and grounded it. He wasn't painting something we as an audience don't see. It's like that's what his brain sees and registers. Like that's all that is retained at that point. It's just like this outline of a person. Of course, he can't tell who it is, even though we as a viewer knows that it's his wife. And it's, it's such a striking moment too, because he, he looks at his paint brushes and they're melting. And so you're, you've taught, you've been taught what melting objects mean. And so he can't use the paintbrush. So he starts using his hands, um, trying to just get this image there. And then, that reveal where you turn and you see her and it looks like paint on a clear frame. It, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, there's like a clear form where you could tell there should be a body there. And then there's paint on it. It's just so well done. Um, and then they share a dance because he thinks she's the housekeeper. <laughs> um, one wants to paint her cause she's gorgeous and he, and she just wants to dance with him. And she, he's like, well, what, what if my wife walks in? You know, she'll, what if she sees? And they're dancing together. And then you just start seeing drips of paint rising to the sky, knowing that she's leaving. She's, this was their last moment. Mm -hmm. It's just, there was so, I was like, this is just so big. I guess that's the thing. It's like small bigness is the is one of the themes. Like it's a this dance that they share in this tiny moment where he's wants to he feels so inspired to paint her. And now this is the moment that she leaves him forever in his own mind. Mm -hmm. It's just small bigness. Mm. Mm, so, so good. It's a downer, but in a good way. I know. I felt so bad, but I felt so full at the same time. <laughs> Q, 
can we talk about something that goes the opposite way? I like your use of question mark there. (laughs) (laughs) Opposite? Uh, So our final nominee is Kitbull, written and directed by Rosanna Sullivan. And this is part of the Pixar Spark Shorts series. And getting on a tangent a bit, I think this is a really smart move by Pixar. Because I think that in many years prior, you've seen shorts that they've encouraged people work at Pixar to develop in their own time and produce and do this stuff. And they get nominated for Academy Awards and do things. Uh, And Pixar is essentially now branding this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you can do whatever you want. We're just going to slap the Pixar name on it a little bit. And it's going to be on Disney+. Plus, (laughs) So people can see it. We're going to make a documentary about this and about you. It'll be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really beneficial for everyone of getting the weight of Pixar behind some of these formerly more independent things, but also getting the weight of more creativity behind the name of Pixar. Yes. Well said. So good for everybody. Uh, There's lots of, I mean, of the few that are already up already on Disney plus, which you can watch today if you're a subscriber and some on YouTube, even they're all really good from what I've seen. Oh yeah. I was a little surprised. It was this one that got the nomination to be honest. I thought for sure that Pearl would be up here and we'd be talking about Pearl today. Oh, Pearl. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, but Kitbull, I think, fits into more of the annual themes we've been talking about. It seems to fit better with these other four shorts than I think Pearl would in this lineup. Yeah. It's a created family. It's a relationship. It's, it's about trauma and healing and togetherness in, yeah. a, in an interesting way. Do you want to talk through us like what what Kitbull's really what the story of Kitbull is? Well, it's about a kitten and a pit bull. And <laughs> no. <laughs> As happens in animated, especially Pixar and Disney things about animals, there's sadness and there's happiness. Mm-hmm. So there's this kitten who lives like in this pile of junk in someone's um outer San Francisco backyard and honestly like I don't know as someone who lives in the Bay Area this is not a nice backyard and clearly the people here don't have much money I don't know how they afforded a backyard to begin with first dramaturgical issue (laughs) but uh so this kitten lives there and has this giant stuffed elephant that it like just rubs up against it steals fish and the person who owns the property gets a pit bull. And culturally, of course, you're like, oh, a pit bull, how violent. But this takes the route of what a real pit bull is like, which is a sweetie. Just a little sweetie. Uh, so the pit bull just wants to be friends with the cat and is kind of trying to express it. But the kitten's wary and afraid of the pit bull. Uh, but it's the, re- ki- the kitten's afraid of everything. Yes, for sure. And this dog that's much more gigantic than it. Um, we discover that the building that this is this yard is attached to is, in fact, a secret dog fighting arena. And the owner kicks the pit bull down the steps in the rain. And essentially the, the cat and the pit bull become friends and escape together just in the nick of time. Because the pit bulls lost a fight. Yeah, and it's ambiguous what would happen to the pit bull, but they at least 
don't want the pit bull to get away. Mm -hmm. The people. It's all well done emotionally. It has the punches. Um, one thing my husband commented on was that the, the kitten was perfect. It's very eccentric cat movement-y. It nails it all very perfectly. Right. The big eyes, the flopping down, the playing with the bottle cap. The weird trying to appear threatening and like running sideways and falling over. <laughs> It reminds me, this short reminds me a lot of uh, Piper, another Pixar mm -hmm. short, but in very different ways where like the animal movements are very real and the emotion is there and attached to them. Um, but this one is stylized in a completely different way, which is so interesting. Yeah, it feels, it feels in a way like paper cutouts. Yeah. Um, Although the the pitbull feels like paper cutouts, the kitten feels like ink blots. <laughs> in a in a it just feels like fur everywhere. It doesn't look like a calm cat, just looks like a cat that's always on edge. So just like a lot of harsh, spiky lines to it. Um, but it it does tell a story in teeny little moments of now the dog's here, they have a small plane together. Um, the dog gets hurt and tries to help the cat who gets stuck in, you know, those six pack holder things and the cat's stuck. So the dog tries to help the cat feels scared and scratches the dog. The dog goes away. The cat realizes that the dog is actually kind, mm -hmm. goes and tries to comfort the dog and lick its wounds, um, which is a really sweet moment. And then they escape together and find uh, there was a there's a moment in the very beginning where a woman offers like a tuna can to the cat and the cat like runs away. And then at the end, we see that same woman offer the tuna can to the cat and the cat brings the pit bull out from behind where it was hiding. And the woman feels threatened and she takes a step back. But then she notices that he's probably all right and starts petting him. Yeah, I think the the kitten rubs itself around one of the legs of the pit bull. To show, like, this is my friend. We're yeah. okay. If you want me, you want him. <laughs> and then the dog gets a bandana. Oh, the bandana. I do also appreciate that the dog still has the scars. So they didn't shy away from that. Yes, they're stylized. They're basically, tri you know, pink triangles. Yeah. Uh, but it it doesn't shy away that this dog was hurt. Mm -hmm. It's like it's still part of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's all a very well done short. And I think to your point about it feeling like paper, like the wounds, I think they feel visceral hurt because it's like torn paper. Mm -hmm. It's what they remind me of. It's almost like you're seeing through the dog. Right. Right. <laughs> so you just went to thinking about it. I did want to think about it. Uh, it, but it is a sweet little short. It is, it it is really sweet, and it makes you feel hopeful because you see the the newly formed family at the end, and you just like there's a world of possibility for them. They're gonna be okay. Especially if you also saw the shorts TV lineup and 
prior to this had seen daughter, sister, and memorable. It's just as nice to have like a happy ending. Right. You start off with hair love and you're like, hey, this I'm is in it. great. What a and great year. Like, <laughs> and then you just get down, down, way down. And then like, oh, thank God it's a cat and a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Please end happily. <laughs> Please, Please be friends. Come on, Pixar, don't do this to me. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so, with those being our five nominees, and we recording prior to the Oscars having happened, Chris, do you have predictions about who will win? Okay, I, I have... Here, Here's what I think. After seeing all these... Because of artistry and story, I feel like Memorable should win. That's my that's my personal feeling. Like I felt the most, I experienced the most through Memorable. I feel like um, Hair Love is going to win. Mm-hmm. Like personally, I feel like Memorable should because of everything that goes along with it. But I feel like Hair Love will win. I think Hair Love will take it away. What about you? I also think that Hair Love will win, but I also think that it deserves to win more than any of the others. Really? I don't think that it would upset me if necessarily anything wins, because they're all like unique and have strengths in their own way. And Memorable especially is very artistic and does stuff with the artistry of what it's achieving. Um, for me, I think I feel very similar to late afternoon from last year. And I kind of want something that just feels different to win. And I think Mm -hmm. hair love is a unique story because we see a new perspective on kind of a universal feeling. Uh, and it's the kind of story that I want to see more of. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So I think Hair Love and I'm rooting for Hair Love. But also right. Memorable and Kipple will be fine. Also the other two. <laughs> Did you have a favorite thing or a favorite moment? I do. While Hair Love is overall my favorite, my single favorite moment is from Kipple. And it's when... Uh, the kitten and the pit bull make friends and the kitten kind of goes into the pit bull's dog shed and cuddles up against him as he's trying to sleep. And he's gone from like angry and he just he still stays there, not opening his eyes, not moving. But he just thumps his tail a couple times against the wood to show that he's happy. And just thought that was such a well executed moment. Makes me cry every time. Mm. How about you? For me, it has to be the dining room table in memorable it's my favorite thing just because it was so devastating to see here's a character you're just, you're looking at his face and then you see his perspective and just to be shocked by a moment and just to be so um i was just really moved by that and it was it was just a devastating moment hmm. and just a very quick visceral um what was I going to say? Just striking moment. Mm-hmm. So it's just my favorite moment. Like I have moments that I enjoyed in all of them, but for me, like that was the moment that I was like, yes, this is what animation does. 
this is what animation is capable of doing. Yeah, that's 100% fair. So, yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I think. We'll add in a little bit so you know who won, even if you didn't watch the Academy Awards. Uh, and maybe one of us might possibly be right. Or not. <laughs> well, we both said Hair Love would win, so <laughs> it's going to be either one of us. Yeah. Fair. Uh, shall we talk homework time? Let's. For next time, your homework is to watch Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beast, the whole premiere, which is basically the first two episodes, uh, available on Netflix now. Not Netflix now, but Netflix, comma, now. <laughs> Streaming now on Netflix. <laughs> there we go. That's that's the, the branding they used. <laughs> As always, thank you to uh, Jacob Reed for our theme music and to Nigel Cotino, our engineer. You can find us on the web on Twitter. Let us know how wrong we were about any of these nominees at WG Animated. Like our page on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. And listen to our past episodes, including all the ones for previous nominees and the nominees for this year, the for full-length feature nominees at writersgetanimated.podbean.com. Oh, I forgot to ask you, who are you wearing? Well, this is American Apparel, and oh. this this actually is, a, I don't know if you can see, it's a Kirby shirt, so I'm wearing Kirby. Oh. Not Jack Kirby. Kirby, the Nintendo character. I'm wearing Urban Pipeline for this cardigan, and the uh, shirt is some Target brand. So That, I mean, Urban Pipeline, I've never heard of, so that could be an actual fashion thing. I wouldn't know. <laughs> It might be an $8,000 cardigan that you wore in your room to record a podcast. Oh, well, let's see who won. And the Oscar goes to Hair Love, Matthew A. Cherry, and Karen Murphy-Colliver. There were so many filmmakers that worked so hard on this, and it was a labor of love. And it was because we have a firm belief that representation matters deeply. Especially, especially in cartoons, because in cartoons, that's when we first see our movies and it's how we shape our lives and think about how we see the world.